Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Daniel Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. When it comes to the basics of life, there isn't anything more basic than food and water. Next is clothing and shelter. Being as wealthy as we are, we often don't stop to think about these basics, which is a good thing. The complexity of this system could tempt us to worry. Where does our food come from? How does it get here? We'll look at some of these answers and whether we should worry about it today on The Whole Student. Well, this is episode number 43. Thanks for listening. I've been getting some really good feedback hearing from some of you throughout the week, and I appreciate that. Keep it coming. Letters at thewholesteward.com. You can contact me there or comment. Leave the comments in the video. Interact with YouTube. Give it a thumbs up, all that good jazz. We're still trying to get the word out for The Whole Steward, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. So let's jump right in. The basics of life, food and clothing how do we get these things in a very wealthy nation as we are? And what is the fragility of that system? It's a little bit interesting and we can dive in today. I'm a curious guy, so I like to talk about things that I'm curious about. That doesn't mean I'm an expert in any of this, but let's jump right in. National Geographic has a little resource called staple food crops of the world and where they come from and i'm just going to scroll down to the fast facts listen to these things it's kind of interesting croplands cover 1.53 billion hectares on earth which is about 12 percent of the earth's ice-free land Another fast fact, cereals account for more than half of the world's harvested area. Cereals are grain-producing grasses such as wheat, rice, maize, and millet. Of the 2.3 billion tons of cereal produced, about a billion tons are destined for food use, 750 million tons for animal feed, and the remaining 500 million tons is either processed for industrial use, used as seed, or wasted. Another fast fact. Rice is the primary crop and food staple of more than half of the world's population. Asia is the world's largest rice-producing and rice-consuming region. Rice is also becoming an increasing food staple throughout Africa. See, I would not have guessed that, but... Very interesting. Another fast fact. More of Earth's surface is covered by wheat than by any other food crop, despite it trailing maize and rice in the sheer amount of tons harvested. About 65% of wheat harvested is used for food, 17% for animal feed, 12% for industrial use, such as biofuels, and the rest for various uncategorized uses. Another fast fact, plantains and bananas belong to the same genus. The primary difference between the plants is that plantains tend to be cooked and processed prior to consumption, whereas bananas are often eaten raw. Now, I had to look up plantains. They look like bananas, so it's kind of interesting they would just be cooked. Another fast fact, yams are a major staple in West Africa, 
and approximately 75% of the world's agricultural land is devoted to raising animals, including cropland devoted to animal feed and pasture for grazing land. Very fascinating. 75% of the land is being used for the animals. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, it's interesting to know how the earth and mankind as stewards of the earth are using it to produce their food to live on. I mean, this is a very important thing. Uh, We can get hyper-spiritual and talk about our spiritual food so much and neglect the just sheer physical characteristics of what it takes to sustain our bodies on a daily basis. That gives us the food to walk around, to think, to think about God, to pray, to work. Everything we do, we get our energy from this food. And ultimately, the food is absorbing the energy from the sun. But it's very fascinating. There's a website I found that says, where does the food come from? And there's an interactive map here that shows where our food crops come from. It's pretty cool because the first map actually shows you it's interactive. So if you're driving or doing something where you can't look at this and you're interested, you can go back. I'll leave the link in the description. But where the different foods originated, for example, and I'll give you just a couple tidbits. Tomatoes did not originate in Italy. They're not native to Italy. They were brought there and grown there. And Italy is really known for its use of tomatoes. We know that came from, where do you think? South America. Isn't that interesting? So there are very few foods that we have in North America that we eat, grow, use, that actually originated in North America. Very few. Some of the ones that did are blueberries, cranberries, grapes, pumpkins and gourds, raspberries, strawberries, sunflower. Now, I also thought that there was different types of corn or maize that was grown. I did not have time to look into that anymore, but it seems as though corn was imported from Mexico, or here it's called maize, from Central America. Anyways, very fascinating where the different types of foods originated. Now, what about the diet and the productions. Uh, I want to look at production first. The graph here is super cool because it shows all the different countries where food is produced and where it's consumed. So, for example, in Southeast Asia, you see all of these are imported types of food from different countries, where the food is imported from. And then over here, you see this color. These are where food from that country is imported to. And the thickness of the line shows the amount. So I was a little confused by some of this because I thought North America exported a lot more food than what they're showing here. And I can show you why I thought that. But it is very interesting that All these different types of food are imported and exported from these different countries. The Food and Drug Administration says that American consumers seek a safe, diverse, and abundant food supply that is simultaneously affordable and available throughout the year. 
And to help meet these consumer demands, the United States imports about 15% of its overall food supply. Today, more than 200 countries and territories and roughly 125,000 food facilities plus farm supplies, approximately 32% of the fresh vegetables, 55% of the fresh fruit, and 94% of the seafood that Americans consume annually. But this increasing globalized and complex marketplace has also placed new challenges on our food safety system. And then they go on to talk about all of this different stuff on how they are trying to make the food supply safe. Now, my question for you today, and this is a an interesting thing I've been thinking about. I saw a report recently, and in fact, here is a survey about do you trust the organizations that are over the ensuring of the safety of our food? Now, according to this poll by NPR, there's a huge portion of people who do not trust, not very much or not at all, trust the CDC or the other institutions like the NIH or the FDA. So big problems on their hands. And there's good reasons why. I'm not going to get into those reasons too much today. But suffice it to say, the landscape is very confusing on trying to weed through all the noise and all the information. I mean, we live in this age of information. It's very difficult to sift through it all. I think some of the distrust probably comes from just not having correct information. Other portions of the distrust probably comes from not correct information purposefully being promoted and put forth by these organizations. And when they get caught in just being flat out wrong about things, they usually try to save face or continue just pushing it. And it becomes what many people see as just pure propaganda. You can also look at the corruption of big business in the food and drug business, cross-pollinating between the organizations and the companies that they serve in. So uh, many of the high-up officials in the FDA, for example, used to work for Pfizer or vice versa and things like that. And to me, that just screams biased opinions and biased perspectives when they approach some of these very critical issues. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit trail today. Suffice it to say, there are many people who are questioning these things. Now, I want to give a specific example today. This specific example is a particular food that my family eats quite a bit of, and maybe you do too, although maybe you eat it in a little bit different prepared form, or should I say we eat it in a little bit different unprepared form. And that food that I'm talking about today is cow's milk dairy. I'm definitely not vegan, as you can tell. I think that this is the livestock and the produce of the livestock is one of the many good gifts that God has given us to consume as our food. One of those is milk, raw milk in our case. We drink raw milk. And before you think, oh, this guy's totally crazy. Why would you drink raw milk? Maybe you don't even know quite what that means. 
And let me explain it to you. So raw milk just means that it's unpasteurized and unhomogenized. So pasteurization is a form of cooking the milk to kill bacteria, common forms of bacteria that you might find in the milk and not because they are naturally occurring in the milk, but they get there based on the lack of cleanliness in the operation. And then homogenization is the crushing of the milk. So there's a lot of fatty acids in the milk. A lot of those things get crushed. And what it does is it keeps the cream from separating out of the more watery portion of the milk. And they also usually will maybe skim the cream off. Now, our milk, when it sits in the carton, it will naturally separate. The cream goes to the top and the watery part goes to the bottom and you have to shake it up. But that cream is super rich in nutrients and flavor and enzymes and all that good stuff. We drink it right with the cream in it. No homogenization, no removal of the cream and no pasteurization. The the milk is not getting cooked before we drink it. That's what I mean by raw. Now, I don't want to get too deep into all of the reasons why we drink raw milk, but suffice it to say, it is a big deal because it costs a lot more than what a lot of people would call regular milk. It's not regular compared to, you know, how fresh is it from the cow? Look at this. We buy from a farm in California. And by the way, it's illegal for states to export a raw milk from a state. So you have to buy milk that was produced, raised and produced in the state that you are consuming it in and purchasing it in. I don't know all the reasons exactly why they came up with that law, but anyways, that's the regulation. So there's a farm here that we, we buy this milk right here, raw, raw farm whole milk. The cows are pasture raised. They graze on grass all day. But just to give you a price comparison, right next to it is just a regular gallon of, of 2% milk. And it's $4.69, whereas the milk we buy is $16.99. We're looking at basically four times the cost for our milk that we buy raw versus a 2% cooked homogenized gallon of milk. The family-owned raw farm that we buy from was founded in 1998, and they produce milk, raw cheese, and when you taste the difference, you can really tell. I, I like to think of 2% regular milk, if you want to call it regular milk, is kind of like white water to us now after having tasted and regularly bought and used the whole milk. My kids have been drinking whole milk since they got off of their mother's milk. And that's a weird question. This is not to weird you out too much, but why is it that humans can produce milk as well as cows, and yet we drink cow's milk instead of human milk? You might think, oh, that's a super weird, strange question, but I don't know. It's just something I wonder. I don't know if you've ever wondered that, but we drink the cow's milk. Also, goat's milk and all all other kinds of milk as well are included in this, but you know, for this family, we're, we're drinking mostly cow's milk, but these are all 
pasture raised and grazed cows and there's a lot of benefits you can look at their website for more of the benefits there's a huge debate about this i didn't realize it was so volatile but if you look into this there's a huge debate gluten-free raw grass grazed tested non-gmo paleo it's very interesting you might ask well isn't it really dangerous to not drink pasteurized milk well these farmers have to pass all of the same standards if not stricter standards of cleanliness and content in the milk regardless of whether they pasteurize it or not they pass all of those standards by running a very clean and tight operation whereas the cheap milk can run a very dirty and loose operation and then they just cook it in the end so all the bacteria is there it's just dead and therefore then they can sell it safely and it won't give you e coli or what's the other one salmonella when you drink it they say on their website quote we are deeply committed to the safe production of high quality raw dairy products we proudly meet and exceed all required california state testing and hashtag do dairy different with our unique test and hold protocol. Our protocol is a three-step testing process that starts at the dairy level and ends with the final product. Under our test and hold protocol, we test for E. coli, coliforms, listeria, salmonella, and campylobacter, and coliforms. So my only point with this is that they test the milk just the same, and if not, exceeding those standards but they do it through cleanliness because they're not cooking it so if there's no e coli or salmonella in the milk it's because there never was so it's very good now one of the things that fascinates me about our stewardship and our choice of food is that we have to make these types of decisions i'm not going to belittle you or say you're wrong if you drink pasteurized and homogenized milk. I have a lot of people who think I'm crazy for feeding my family raw milk. We all just need to get along, but these are stewardship questions that we need to ask. And if you're interested even in this at all, I would recommend send me a note with any further questions, letters at thewholesteward.com, visit their website, if you want to read more about what they do, how they do it, why they do it. And as you can see right here, there is a chart about all the enzymes that are destroyed when you cook it versus them still being there in the raw milk. And again, there's a lot of debate on this. Like if you just start Googling on this topic, there is a lot of stuff to weed through. And the reason why I opened with the FDA and the CDC and all that, the perspective of people's trust in those organizations is because you're going to get one thing from them and you'll get another thing from, for example, farmers or consumers who have done extensive research into these topics. It's a debate, just like almost anything and everything in this life. Very fascinating. Hi, this is Gary Pinkerton with Gary's Gulch Podcast. You are listening to The Whole Steward with Andrew Stanton, one of the best researched shows by a man of true passion. 
Now that you know more, go out and grow more. Now, taking a step back, I didn't know this. I learned this just today when I was researching for the show. Very fascinating that most cows don't grow up just eating grass in a field. Now, I've heard from many different sources that it's very good for cows, grass-fed cows, to be grass-fed. The fatty acids have a different makeup. If you feed them grain and omega-6s, the milk has a lot of those types of fats. The content is different. If they eat a lot of grasses, then you get a lot of omega-3s and different types of enzymes and supposedly better enzymes. And it makes sense. And here's why. What do cows eat? Like the majority of cows. I'm not talking about the grass-fed cows now, but the majority of cows, probably the cows where you get your $4 gallon of milk from, what do they eat? Well, cows have an amazing stomach. And I didn't realize this, but they eat a lot of bio-waste. They eat a lot of stuff that humans couldn't eat. And you can see just on this website from UC Davis, they did a sort of a deep dive on this. And I'm not going to do a huge deep dive, but just listen to some of the stuff that cows eat. They eat 12% grains, 36% silages, which is kind of like grasses and alfalfa, things like that. They eat 12% haze, which would be just grass, but it's probably like dried grass. And then this other big red chunk, 39% of their diet is byproducts. Byproducts? What are byproducts? Well, byproducts are the leftovers from crops grown for people. Several of the main byproducts fed to cows include distillers grains, almond hulls, soybean meal, and citrus pulp. In California, almost 40% of dairy cow's diet is made up of byproducts. That means if you factor in the forage and byproducts cattle eat, over 85% of what they consume is made up of feeds that humans can't consume. If these byproducts are not consumed by cows, they would likely head to a landfill. I just found this super fascinating. They're eating like all of this organic stuff that humans can't eat, like the peels from lemons and pomegranate byproducts. They do eat a lot of grain, such as dried ground corn and barley. And just as a side note, when it comes to corn, it's basically going to be genetically modified. All the corn is, especially if it's cheap, there's no way really around that. And the cows are eating a lot of that as well. They do get minerals and vitamins and nutritive foods, but there you go. Cows are basically um, garbage disposals for waste products that we can't use in any other way. And I don't know really how good or bad that is necessarily, other than it just sounds like a cow that grows up in a pasture eating grass is probably doing a little bit better. They do have the ability to give antibiotics to cows to keep them alive longer. And then, of course, they 
cook the milk afterward because it probably had a bunch of harmful bacteria in it and just in case they are cooking it so you know there you go that is kind of a interesting thing that i learned today that's part of the reason i'm doing this anna mentioned today that the milk wasn't for sale in sprouts anymore i don't know how true that is maybe it's just sprouts but they did say on their facebook page that there is no state recall of their products uh, and they're widely available in stores throughout California except for the retail location Sprouts Farmers Market. Uh, to find a store near you, you can go to their website, uh, rawfarmusa.com find. There was an article about the fact that the county recommends that people who have products from this company in their homes dispose of them immediately. And this is from the Dr. Seema Shah, medical director of the county's epidemiology and immunization services branch. It's also important for anyone who's sick to seek medical care. They found apparently some cases of salmonella in the milk, but they have been testing the milk directly and not found it, but they're going to be doing a further investigation. Of course, they comply with all these regulations. And if you were to get salmonella or E. coli in the milk, that's certainly a risk. They do filter the milk, but I don't know that they're filtering it to the extent that they would get the, uh, the bacteria out of it. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I find it fascinating that this article says that raw or, quote, natural milk can produce harmful germs like salmonella, listeria, E. coli, and other bacteria, viruses, and parasites as it has not gone through the pasteurization process that heats the milk to a high temperature for a short period of time, officials said. Now, I don't know what officials are saying that, but there is no milk that I know of that can actually produce these harmful germs. Now, they're probably saying that the germs can reproduce in the milk. Maybe, I guess is what they're saying. Or at least it can be carried in the milk. But the milk cannot produce these bacterias. These bacterias come from and usually live in the intestinal tracts of humans and animals. That's why when we go backpacking, it's very important to filter your water out of the stream. Because if somebody upstream happens to, you know do their duty, and it gets into the water, or animals as well, that bacteria can be in the water and it needs to be filtered out. Apparently, same is for the milk, and everybody has to look into these things. Some people are just very comfortable with what does the FDA say? Okay, yep, that's, go that's what goes. But there is a lot to dig into, and it's not super straightforward when you start fishing and if you give everything it, like an equal shot. For example, you go to the FDA right here and there's a big article right on their website, Raw Milk Misconceptions and the Danger of Raw Milk Consumption. See, there you go. The Danger of Raw Milk Consumption. And this stuff is hotly debated. There is a whole article here that citing sources and all this stuff. If nothing else, I can tell you raw milk just tastes a whole lot better. You can really tell the difference. Even my wife and kids, they know. Uh, they can tell. I certainly can. So wrapping this all up, let's talk about what does the Bible say about our food sources? Where, where do they come from? How do we not 
worry about them, but do a good job as stewards to think about, hey, what are the foods that we're consuming and where do they come from and why is it important to know what we're putting in our bodies so that we can be as healthy as possible within reason to serve the Lord and to work hard and to create more value for other people. This is a very basic thing and sometimes we need to give it a little bit of thought. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, uh, many people call it the disciples' prayer, but he specifically mentions that we should acknowledge where it is and who it is that our food comes from. It's a very basic need, but in the prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And if you look at the footnote there, it could also mean our bread for tomorrow. In other words, Lord, we know that our food comes from you. And no matter where we got it, if it's sitting in front of us on the table, it's from you. And we ask humbly that tomorrow you would do the same for us. Now, I'm sure if you're listening to this, your refrigerator has food for tomorrow in it as well. Do not miss the point. If our supply lines and our supply chains were to break down instantly, which I'm not saying they're going to. I don't see any reason that would happen. But if they were, there are a lot of people who are touching your food before it gets to your table. Unless you're growing it in your own backyard and processing it in your own kitchen, which is not a bad idea nowadays. Unless you're doing that, and even then, and we'll get to that in a minute, but even then, it is from the Lord that our food comes. And we need to acknowledge that. That is right there in the example for us on how to pray. Look at this. When Paul was uh, preaching to Gentiles, to total pagans, he mentioned in Acts 14, 17 that uh, yet he did not leave himself without witness. So even the Gentiles, he's saying, even the Gentiles see this. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is where our food comes from and the rains that make it grow. So for example, even if you're growing food in your backyard, if you don't get rains, you don't get food. And certainly in the older days, there was much more of a concern on getting the rains because that was their only source of water. Of course, humans have been building aqueducts and the equivalent of aqueducts where I live. Most of our water gets piped in. That's what grows our crops. Look, the point is we acknowledge that these things, these good gifts come from God. Psalm 104 verse 14 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And finally, 1 Timothy 4, 4-5 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So, really? Everything is to be received with thanksgiving, and we need to be sure to do that as stewards. One of the things that you can do is be sure that you are thanking God for the basics, just the absolute basics. And finally, to wrap up, I want to go to Matthew chapter 6, 
starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I hope you found this interesting, helpful. For our family, we try to buy food as local as possible. We shop at the farmer's market. We used to shop a lot at Costco. That's totally fine, but even there, I can tell a big difference between a head of lettuce at Costco and a head of lettuce from the farmer's market. Big, big difference, and I eat a lot of salads, uh, one to two salads a day, almost every day, and that's just one of the things that we try to do. We also buy a lot of organic and whole foods. There's a debate and an argument to be had, some of which I just do not want to get into for this episode. But just to seed the subject here, it's one of the areas that I think about as a whole steward. And I would like to hear from you. What do you do? Do you drink raw milk? Do you eat organic? It means natural pesticides and fertilizers. Or do you just buy whatever? How do you think about this? Uh, do you just not even care at all? And you don't think we should? I want to hear from you. This has been a fascinating learning experience for me. I pray that it was for you too. And until next week, now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.